Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay, and I'm delighted to be joined down the line by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello, Rich. And by Dominic Booth. Guten Tag. Guten Tag, hello to you all. Samuel, you're back from the glamorous city of Cologne. United are in a European semi-final. The good times are back. How was it? How was the uh, the quarterfinal versus Copenhagen? It, it was it was a lovely trip. Uh, the, the football was, as spoiled as it sounds, probably the, the low light of it in that it wasn't the, the spectacle that most would have hoped for. But I think that it wasn't a particular surprise that United actually did have to made a, made a bit of a slog of it in that most of the regulars were playing their first game in 15 days. Um, United looked very, very leggy towards the end of the domestic season. I suppose it was maybe false modesty from Stalis Olbach and during Sunday's press conference that uh, Copenhagen uh, didn't have a, a great chance of um, getting through because they, they gave a, a hell of an account of themselves. They were very impressive. Uh, I just thought that watching it, I mean, there, there were these ominous harbingers like for United like the, the, the VAR um, decision in the, in the first half chalking off Greenwood's goal rightly as well of course hitting the post a couple of times not getting a penalty um, when, where that was overturned and you just wondered maybe it's going to be one of those cliched nights as they say and, and Copenhagen will, will, will somehow get through um, by extra time or penalties and they had their own um, opening certainly Brian Oviedo um Really should have done a lot better, I thought, with with that chance at the far post. But I did also think that towards the end of regulation time, United were getting better, and it was just a case of whether they could sustain that momentum going into extra time. And and they did. Uh, Marshall, just as an example, I didn't think he actually did very much at all. He was non-anonymous until he had that curling shot, probably the 84th minute or something like that, that was so ostentatiously saved. And from then on, he was he was excellent. He was much more of a threat. Um, he obviously won the penalty again. He's won United's last three penalties. The introduction of Matter was key because it, it was someone who was making probing passes and he, he has a very good understanding with, with Marshall anyway. Uh, but it, it was a strange experience. It was a privileged experience to be at, at a European quarterfinal, which is was completely devoid of supporters. I mean, you know, the United players, the substitutes were so close right by us um, it was like being in the same screening room at a cinema uh, and it was also probably the nearest and the closest we're going to get to a mix zone for some time as well uh, on this occasion it was actually United players uh, trying to open conversation in a very very spontaneous way uh, just just things like was it offside are they checking the goal uh, the, the communication regarding VAR was that bad in the stadium that Tomney uh, found out about Greenwood's goal being checked from from myself which was quite a surreal experience um, because there were no monitors for us to to consult either so um very very peculiar evening i suppose and obviously where where it was extended into extra time it's just it's kind of in keeping with what is turning out to be a never-ending season for united and a season which could see them playing wolves again by the end of the week uh dom (laughs) in terms of the actual spectacle for you it's kind of a mixture i think from united fans because it was i mean 
we'll get maybe onto the format of the tournament and the revised one-legged format, which maybe made a game which typically would have been even more grim over two legs. It's quite, quite an interesting one. Copenhagen gave it a real good shot. Um, for you, did you enjoy the, the grittiness and the, the, the sort of... I mean, Romero spoke before the game that it was called like a death game in Argentina where you, know, if you lose, you're out. Did, did you enjoy this spectacle? How do you think United reacted to playing in such a, such a sort of like a straight knockout game like that? Yeah, I sort of don't agree with you in that I think the one-off games will make it more tense. Like we, we see so often in, in World Cups and Euros, nil-nil uh, going into extra time and the odd goal winning it. And I think that's that happens when you have one-off games rather than two legs and you might feel a bit more free to play, uh, especially if you've got a home leg. So I think that, that contributes a little bit towards uh, the the spectacle, which which wasn't great. I actually enjoyed it in, in extra time. I thought it was it was entertaining, and United should have scored more than they did in extra time with uh, I think Carl Johan Jonsson in the in the Copenhagen goal, having virtually the game of his life. I, I got an email this morning from uh, a bookmaker offering him odds uh, on a move to the Premier League on the back of that performance. So that says all you need to know about the how the transfer rumor mill works. But yeah, I think Solskjaer said after the game that he thought United maybe needed the extra time when he was asked if it was a good thing or not. And I understood that because their play just didn't really click and until they got into the game. And yeah, the first half in particular was, was, was turgid from United and they were lucky to probably be level at that point. But yeah, Martial came alive in, in extra time and Mata helped and, and all those things that Samuel said as well. So it's going to be interesting. The semi-final is not going to be easy by, by any stretch. No, of course, and United will have an extra sort of day's rest on on her place tonight. But if the Wolves Seville game, which we're recording this before, doesn't go to extra time, then it's kind of quite even in that regards, perhaps. Uh, Samuel, in terms of the team selection, obviously, as if you win the game, then your team selection is kind of justified, isn't it? But in terms of the players that played tonight, do you think any of the fringe players, in particular, who started the game, maybe made a good case that they should be in the squad going forward? Uh Probably not. I don't think Bay did an awful lot wrong. I know he got done for the the chance uh, that that Fred gave away by losing possession um, just outside United's area. But because he got booked, he he was the one who had to come off for Lindelof, even though Maguire had also been booked. But Maguire seems to seems to be in his contract that he plays every minute at the moment. Um, Fred, I, I felt a little bit sorry for because I thought he was improving at the time he, he came off and he looked particularly peeved um, sat just below us because I think he felt as though he was also getting into the groove and they tweaked his position so he was even deeper and at, at times United looked like they were playing with a back three in the, the second half of regulation time Fred was that far back and he was getting more well dones I mean all, all Michael Carrick seemed to say uh, to him was well done Fred uh, I mean Solskjaer did get on his case after he gave away that chance the first half and elicited the first rec- first recorded use of English by Fred, which was literally okay, um, which I don't think is beyond any other, any person, regardless of what their um, their native tongue is. That's all uh, you need but, to know, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You'll survive. Indeed. But they, they clearly have to protect Matic because he's their only specialist defensive midfielder. He is 32 it's it's a hell of a workload to put on him. I do think that McTominay is probably, if you're going to play a sole holding midfielder, a defensive midfielder, then McTominay is probably more suited to that role than Fred, who's a bit more forward thinking and can play deep. But he, he's done very well in that deeper role when he's got a foil, when he's got someone next to him like Matic, which was the case uh, 
I think at Chelsea in February and against City in, in March is just two of the standout examples. So there wasn't a lot to really take umbrage with in terms of Solskjaer's team. It was a team that should have won that game within 90 minutes. His comment about, I mean, when Solskjaer comes out with things, often the opposite is true. And when he said that, oh, we, you know, we could have done with extra time. I mean, I can't remember who the player was on the pitch at the end, but it seemed like almost every United player was surrounding him, helping him with cramp. So I don't think too many of the players will be agreeing with him that they needed extra time. And as you say, if Sevilla or Wolves just last the 90 minutes tonight, it's pretty much both teams are on a level playing field there going into Sunday semi-final. Um, in the, I know United have got an extra day to prepare, but that kind of that kind of does level it up a little bit. And also, I think United have, I mean, they've kind of, hinted at it anyway but they're they're not happy about having to spend all this time in Cologne and I think mentally that is going to great with some of the players who I know I've no sympathy for millionaire footballers being in a bubble in a half decent German city where the sun is always always shining but it is likely to take its toll to a certain extent you've got players there I mean nobody aspires to win the Europa League twice um Champions League has been boxed off unfortunately if they do win it it's not going to have The significance of it is going to be a fraction of what it was in 2017, where the success of the season hinged on that final, where they had never won the UEFA Cup before. It was a chance to complete the set, and you had the the added emotion of the arena attack a couple of nights earlier. And of course, probably most importantly of all, you had supporters there as well. So although everyone is grateful and understandably so that, that football is back and we can watch football, unfortunately, when it comes to the finals, as we kind of saw with the the botched Arsenal trophy presentation um, at the FA Cup final, um, the, the significance of it and the, the feeling, it, it's definitely diluted. Just to, just to yeah. cut it in, I think that probably would have been the case even with supporters, you know, provided United had finished third and qualified for the Champions League. You know, it's not it's not as important, but it is it is a reflection of, of what United have done since, since the January time and turning their, their fortunes around so that it's not all resting on you have to win the Europa League to qualify for the Champions League. I think that's to, to Solskjaer's credit that, that you know, that's the situation we're looking at. Yeah, it's not a straight shootout as it once was. And yeah, it's going to be interesting to to see that. I mean, maybe we won't go into this later, but um, both of you briefly, what do you think of United's actual chances of winning the Europa League this season? We saw Inter dispatched Bayern Leverkusen last night and they looked quite good, particularly in that opening sort of half hour. Um, will Seville, that'll be very difficult. You know, Seville are the perennial sort of, they just always seem to win the Europa League and Wolves, God, could you be bothered? <laughs> neither neither of them United want to face, do they? Wol- no, Wolves are the no. nightmare side and like you say, Sevilla have got that incredible Europa League record, winning it three times on the bounce. So if United somehow get through that, then it, I'd probably back them to beat Inter because Inter's like Manchester United B at the moment or Manchester United from 2017 at least. Yeah, I think it's with, like... I think- I think with Sevilla, I mean, they're, they're probably the only team who could have already qualified for the Champions League, but then they would still go absolutely all in to win the Europa League because they've won it, was it five times in the last 15 years? Wolves, I mean, just the prospect of getting into the Champions League is is such a huge, huge incentive for them to win it. And 
I think the only time United have beaten them since they got promoted back to the Premier League was in an FA Cup replay that nobody wanted, least of all Wolves, whose season is already 13 months old, pretty much as it is. So I, I, it really wouldn't surprise me if United come a cropper um, on Sunday, regardless of whether it's severe they come up against all Wolves. I think United do look very, very tired at the moment. And understandably so. Last night was Maguire's 60th um, start for club and country this season. I know it's not quite as taxing on him because centre-backs don't have to run as much, but someone like Fernandez, although he is scoring these crucial penalties and he's winning vital games for United, his performance level has definitely dipped from certainly the start of the lockdown, or sorry, the post-lockdown games. Yeah, absolutely. You can just tell this United team is drained at the moment, both, I think, mentally and physically, really. It's taken its toll on what they've been through in the last few weeks. Um, you mentioned that United's only win against Wolves in the last two years was in that FA Cup game, a game in which Juan Mata scored the goal. What did you make of his impact last night, Dom? I know lots of people have been saying he's been rolling back the clock. Do you think he was as good as, as the plaudits are suggesting, or do you think it was just a game which suited his, his sort of playing style? Um, I think it was an indictment of the, the lack of options at Solskjaer's disposal that he didn't bring on a, an attacking sub in normal time and, and it took till the extra time when Mata replaced Greenwood for him to to make that change and I wrote about that after the game that you know that I don't know whether it was a, a deliberate message to the board from Solskjaer over the, the Jaden Sancho situation which had obviously dominated the the preamble to the game but it was a bit of a message to the likes of Daniel James, Odi Nagalo, Jesse Lingard that that they weren't um, called upon, or at least called upon sooner in Lingard's case. So, yeah, that, that's that. But Matter's definitely showing that he's got a role to play. I know he's got just the one year remaining on his contract. I would be a little surprised if United let him go. I think there's still definitely merit in him coming on in games and, and bringing a little bit of experience and composure and, uh, you know, that ability to pick a lock, which United were lacking with, with Fernandez, like Samuel says labouring a little bit and the forward option is looking a little bit stagnant so Matt has probably got more merit than than the rest of them but that that doesn't mean that United don't need someone with that X factor like Jaden Sancho. Yeah exactly when the standards are kind of low it doesn't take someone too good to to shine but uh, yeah Juan Matt deserves credit and particularly his partnership with um, Bruno Fernandes I know Solskjaer's spoken about them being on the same wavelength previously and Juan Mata certainly has a role to play even if it's in a reduced one of course he's someone who would be a good ambassador for the club going forward as well but Dom touched on that there Samuel the elephant in the room it, <laughs> it's tedious but it had to come at some point then that before the game yesterday there was another Jason Sancho update this, this is time why I Michael touched thought, on it Rich I didn't, I didn't I want know. to go into it but there you go <laughs> it's just you write it in every story you say it in every tweet we yeah. get it United haven't signed Sancho yet yesterday Zork came out and said we plan with Jason Sancho he'll play for us next season the decision is final United are still confident and still have belief that they can get a move if they want to and some of you know if United offered the money right now be able to sign him. What what is the latest with Jaden Sancho? Do you think that Dortmund are just bluffing now? Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that that this is what Dortmund do. Uh, they they eventually yield when they get what they want, and United haven't given them what they want yet. And it, these things can be he said, she said. I mean, United have played the agents' fees card uh, before with Erling Haaland uh, when he ended up rejecting them to rejecting them to go to Dortmund. Um, Yerry Mina was offered to United after the World Cup in 2018 and United were like just expressed this complete contempt for how much the agent was demanding and at the time when I was informed of this I was thinking you are the guys who 
you know, ensured that Mina Raiola pocketed 41 million from the Pogba deal um, two years earlier. So they have set this dangerous precedent for agents' fees. And they're very much aware of that now. Um, the, the phrase that was communicated to me uh, yesterday was that they don't want to repeat uh, past mistakes. So in this instance, uh, the intermediary who's acting on Dortmund's behalf is Marco Lichsteiner, who is the brother of um, the former former Juventus and Arsenal defender Stefan Lichsteiner. Uh, He's he's the one who's negotiating this. I mean, I was he he's only a name. I mean, if you were to have Googled his name, I don't know, last week, it would have just flatlined on Google Trends. I suspect he's he's trending a lot higher now, um, given his his role in this in these discussions. But the fact that United are already kind of like you know pointing him out as not the villain of the piece as such, but certainly you know kind of put put in that planting that seed that he could be the one who who brings it all all down um is is quite telling i th- i think the thing that really struck me was that dortmund came just just dropped this bombshell that oh, sancho's actually contracted to us until 2023 and if that's the case i don't know why they're holding out for 108 million pounds because if he's got three years left in his contract and he's just had the season he's had irrespective of the pandemic he should be worth more which gives an indication that if he is indeed, if he has indeed got three years left in his contract, one, why did Dortmund not come out and make this official um, in a statement? Because I think Zork, the way maybe it was lost in translation slightly, but he seemed to allude that allude to it being extended um, last year. But I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's right or not. I'm yeah, he said last recently. last summer we adjusted yeah. the salary to the performance development of Jaden. Exactly. Well, so that, that makes why, it sound like it was a new deal, yeah. Yeah, so why did they not communicate that officially? I know there were stories out there last year that he was about to sign a new contract, but it wasn't just to extend it by a year. He was he was in line for a big salary rise. Dortmund, I think, briefed some journalists that it was going to happen, but then there was never an official um, announcement. And the journalists, certain journalists who ran that story in good faith at the time, went that where they've been reporting on Sancho at the moment, they've been doing so on the understanding that he's actually, his contract is expiring in 2022. So that raises questions. Um, the asking price as well, as I said, if he, if he was, if he is contracted for three more years, he should be worth more, they should be demanding more. If that was, if, you know, if anything, that's more of an obstacle for United getting a deal done or should be more of an obstacle than dealing with uh, an intermediary. So um, it, it is it is tedious. I was hopeful that this would be a pretty swift um, sale, given that United qualified in the champion, for the Champions League through the Premier League. Uh, the player wants to go to United. United want the player. This has been known for a long, long time now. Um, but as is the case with United, these things do tend to drag on. And in fairness to them, they do tend to drag on because clubs do try and take them for a ride. It's not like, I mean, City have, okay, they've they've got to quick deals done with Fran Torres and Nathan Ake. But I think comparing those deals with going for trying to sign someone who is clearly worth nine, um, you know, upwards of hundred million pounds. Uh, it's, it's incomparable really. Uh, I think the thing that I find most tedious is that there are certain reporters or people who, and they don't work on the Manchester patch either, but they will say, it's you know they'll put a time frame on it or they'll say that this is agreed that's agreed unfortunately 
one of the ways to get far or, or to kind of up your following drastically on Twitter is to tell people what they want to hear. I've I've got no interest I'm in making that. Making out of that. a lot, and and lot of other and lot of other, <laughs> a lot of other, and most journalists I know, and most and pretty much everyone who follows United who was um, covering United game in Cologne, they don't tell. United fans, what they want to hear. They just report what they know, what they've been told, what they've unearthed, what they've, you know, it just it's just general story getting. But there are some out there who will just try and, you know, really maximise as much as possible. And you think in the end, look, are you, are you is this kind of like, are you an unofficial club mouthpiece here? Um, you know, trying to say this transfer is going to happen. And the irony is that actually frustrates um, United because it's it's a full storm. It's like, well, this is gonna happen this transfer is gonna happen. And the people at United are like, well, it's not. So you these people are trying to curry favour with United, um, but then they get a tap on the shoulder and say, Well, look, you you're wrong here. You're well wide of the mark. So as I said, it, it's that's that's what makes it particularly tedious. And there are certain desks. Fortunately ours is is quite realistic, but there are colleagues who um, you know, get get called or get messages at all hours asking about there was one desk who um messaged a colleague recently and um asked about uh this puff of smoke coming from old trafford recently where they were um demolishing the pitch burning the pitch and they seriously asked is this um is this their way of announcing sancho <laughs> as in like the 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 the, 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 the like new announcement yeah exactly they thought it was that, but no, it was just some ground staff burning some grass. That's all it was. Wow. <laughs> well, when you start hearing a piano be played over the uh, over the dulcet towns at Manchester, that's when you'll know that Sancho's on his way. But yeah, it's just, uh, I guess it goes well. The, the problem is there's such an appetite for them. But Dom, you know, a transfer like this is like a game of chess. They've got to put the impetus on each club. It was the deadline that put United under pressure. United said they wouldn't pay the fee. And now it's Dortmund who put the pressure back on United by saying that Sancho's going to stay. It's it's tedious, but I guess as Samuel said there, that if it's true that Sancho has a contract until 2023, doesn't that only make United's decision easier because it is more of a, a, a bargain move? I know that lots of pundits have described him as a bargain for the price he's at now, but if there's actually another year on Sancho's contract, then surely the the fee that Dortmund want is more realistic. Yeah, I'm cautious to say that 108 million pounds, especially in the current climate, is a bargain for any footballer, but. I guess this, that's what football has become since the Neymar to PSG deal, which blew every other transfer fee out, out of proportion from there on. I have seen some slightly ludicrous comments on social media from non-United fans in recent days saying, oh, come on, just pay the fee, get on with it. You know, that's what they quoted. Uh, and that's just not how it works. You have to negotiate. and Every club has a, has a right to, to try and negotiate the price down for a for a player to what they think it should be, you know, otherwise it would be even more preposterous. Some of the fees that we see, uh, United did it well with Bruno Fernandes in in January, getting that fee down to I think forty seven million um, up front, and obviously add-ons afterwards. And they did it with uh, Romelu Lukaku's sale as well, holding out for a, a really hefty fee for from Inter. So they're going to do it with Jaden Sancho as well, and yet there's going to be a lot of back and forth, like a tennis match uh, over the summer. So. I guess we'll just have to to wait and see how it plays out. The, the the announced Sancho tweets are not going to relent, but 
I, I do feel like a deal will, will happen at some point. Yeah, exactly. And I guess in the best case scenario, it's like the Bruno Fernandes deal, which United managed to stagger well and get an initial payment, which is relatively quite low. And maybe in the worst case, it turns into a Harry Maguire where you end up paying closer to what the club wanted all along anyway. So we'll, we'll wait and see. Like United have said all along, though, there is no rush in terms of it. There's still two months left of the transfer market, whether Dortmund like it or not. The 10th of August has been and gone now. They won't sell Sancho. They're going to have to break their own self-imposed deadline. So, I mean, when we're on the talk of transfers as well, I know it is only really Sancho that, that fans are caring about at the moment. But you touched upon it earlier when you were talking about the over-reliance maybe on Matic at the moment for United and maybe in James Garner, someone who's a long-term prospect who could maybe in three or four years have a chance in the first team proper. But Fred and McTominay haven't really done it really as a defensive midfielder since the restart do you think United do need another defensive midfielder this summer or do you think they've got enough already at the club I do think they need one but I can see them going without one purely because Matic has been given a new contract and so has McTominay it's almost as if they're trying to consolidate that enviable quintet of midfielders they've got along with Pogba Fernandes and uh, and Fred it's 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 a great um, it's a potentially great quintet uh, to have to choose from uh, Garner obviously It'd be I'd be amazed if he doesn't go out on loan uh, next season. Um, he's he's also he's he's more he's a bit more like Fred I think. I know he's played at centre back, but Michael Carrick also um, you know, slotted in at centre back a couple of times, or probably more than that for United. Uh, it's a string that he's you know, it's got it's one of those strings he's got to his bow, but he's. He is a forward-thinking midfielder. He's not. I'd hesitate to say that Garner's a defensive-minded midfielder, and he wasn't on the bench last night as well, which was not a massive surprise. But um, it's it's been a bit of a pity that he's not had as much playing time uh, this season as as he might have done. I think when he has actually had chances, he's he's acquitted himself quite well. But he, he desperately needs a loan now. Um, I think the trouble United have, and they seem to just carry on regardless, is this one-at-a-time strategy with with signings uh they seem incapable of working concurrently on deals which certainly held them back last summer because they took a month to do the Daniel James deal which okay that was held up a little bit because his father died which was obviously awful so there's no point really dwelling on that but Wan-Bissaka took a while certainly a month Maguire probably took around a month upwards of a month as well and then once you've got those three players in you still need a striker and a midfielder to replace Lukaku and Herrera but guess what the deadline is in under a week and now you're starting to look out you become opportunistic and you start to think oh is Paolo Dybala going to be uh, an option but guess what Agents' fees were an obstacle there, so that didn't happen. And then there's a fleeting consideration given to uh, Mario Mandzukic, who a few months later ended up in Qatar, I think. So, look, you'd think that they'd have eradicated enough of those mistakes, but there's still progress to be made on that front. You only have to look at January, though. Joshua King and Igarlo on deadline day. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And look, with Igarlo, he came in, and he was under no pressure because... The expectation limit for him was pretty much on the floor. He was coming from China, can't play in the Premier League for uh, three years or whatever it was. And he's done pretty well. I know he's not scoring the Premier League, but he's certainly served a purpose and he's allowed Marshall's game time to be managed. And Marshall, I think, has become better knowing that there's someone to alleviate the workload on him. So they've, their recruitment over the last uh, 
14 months, whatever it is, since James came in, has, has been excellent. They've been, they've been getting it right with incomings and, and outgoings. Uh, obviously, that, that run has got to end at some point. You can't be completely perfect. I think United themselves said to us that they're looking for a 70% hit rate. They, they accept that they're not going to get every signing right, but they accept that they made past mistakes when it came to um, paying certain players too much. Sanchez being the example that they didn't even have to name him. It's it's just him. Um, in Sanchez's case, his wages caused resentment among some of the other players, namely Marshall and Pogba. Um, the agent's fees is an excuse that comes up quite a lot, but there is some merit in it. Um, I, I don't think we can be too cynical about it, but it's just the fact that United set that precedent with with the Raiola um, fee from, from Pogba's deal in 2016. Um, so, as I said... I think if they were to get Sancho, I think some at United would probably think, you know, aren't fans happy with that? We've just gone and bought a right winger. We've not bought one of them for a while. And we've bought probably the the most coveted right winger or certainly the most talented right winger um, of of his age group about... um, there might be some nervous shifting going on there, but they, they certainly, they can't just settle with, with just Sancho. Um, there are compelling arguments to sign four players, but I would be very, very surprised if they do sign four. Yeah, of course, it's going to be another sort of gradual rebuild this summer. Dom, finally from you, I guess that I know we speak about it every week and when Sancho's done, you want to see an attacking midfielder come in, but yourself, Dom, what, what areas would you like to see United improve specifically this summer in yeah, I'd probably go along with Samuel and say a defensive midfielder, but I just don't think that is going to happen for the reasons that he said. I do think they, they probably need a massive shake-up in attacking midfield and and Lingard and Pereira are there and, and are they of sufficient quality? That's a, a major question mark. In terms of the, the rotation options, in the last few weeks, I think having reduced roles has helped them with less pressure. But like you said, the, the overall quality has just not quite been there. And I think it showed last night against Copenhagen when you have to make changes, when your your first sort of key players are all tired, that the quality is not quite there to come in and replace them. But who knows what lies ahead? We've got another exciting week. So I'm excited for your second trip to Cologne. Yes, yes. I mean, the, the accreditation process for some of my colleagues has been a, a palaver, or our colleagues, I should say, rather, um, unfortunately, because it's it's capped. So um, no one knows whether they're guaranteed to get into the game on Sunday yet. So uh, I, I suppose everyone's still on, on tenterhooks a little bit uh, with that. But there, there is one thing I have to clarify, uh, Simon Peach, the scoundrel. Uh, deadly was deadly serious when he said Marcus Allback is still playing and when I mentioned this to him that I'd said it on the podcast he said oh he's not really and, and I thought Marcus Allback was a lot younger than he is but no he's about 47 at the moment so um, for, for all those Scandinavian listeners who've unsubscribed or have stopped listening I, I don't blame you and, and I do apologise but I, I am absolutely putting the blame on him for that one and, and he was he was happy for me to uh, to clarify that on this very podcast you just meant you that you were playing five aside yeah. somewhere, didn't you, Samuel? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, unfortunately, I'm old enough to remember Mark, watching Marcus all back at the 2002 World Cup, so I really, really should have known better. But you, you do get certain Peter Pan footballers about. Is that Japanese that's... guy? Is that 53? I think he's still playing professionally. I forget his name, but that's... yeah, because of an M, I can't remember. I feel like I should know. <laughs> you should know, given your um, uh, obviously you've got my allegiance to Japan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've just had to. I've I've just have to Google Japanese footballer old. Um, yeah, <laughs> my pronunciation's not good. K 
Kazuyoshi Mira. And your pronunciation should also old. be better, Rich, given you Yeah, but uh, I don't think there'll be too many Japanese listeners. And if there are, thanks for listening this far. Um, we've lost we will them. be back again. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be back later in the week anyway to uh, preview the uh, game against Wolves or Seville. Who knows um, in more detail. But for now, Samuel, Dom, thank you very much for joining us on the latest episode of the Manchester's Red podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, keep safe. Enjoy your weeks, everyone, and keep tweeting and out Sancho. And you never know, it might happen soon enough. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Please leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next time.